America. My name is Armio Sefrim Pong. I come to you live every Thursday about this time. And today I'm going to talk to you about white supremacy as a living system. So we're bad about talking about life and it's not easy and it's kind of presumptuous to talk about the meaning of life because it's so big. Who am I to just yap on the internet about the meaning of life? The thing is, because we can't talk about the meaning of life, we can't talk about how life is an expression of freedom and as an expression of freedom, it should be put next to other expressions of freedom and checked by these other expressions of freedom. And if you don't do that, what happens is that then the concern of life starts running unregulated and starts um, causing all sorts of problems. And I think we're starting to see that with the COVID mandates, uh, where concern of life, where people just say like, well, one death is just too much. Well, I guess. I mean, one death is unfortunate, but to say it's too much is to not actually weigh it against the other degradations of freedom that some of these mandates are causing, right? So um, if you don't understand why life is an expression of freedom and an enabling condition for all of these other expressions of freedom, then you don't understand why life needs to be checked by, the concern for life needs to be checked by all of these other institutions of freedom that are enabled by life but aren't necessarily subordinate to it in the same way that like uh i don't know um i've enabled by having um yeah you know i i'm, I'm enabled by having you know a nose but i shouldn't be subordinated to um uh, you know i couldn't smell without it and smelling allows me to do other things, including taste food, but like other things I can do shouldn't be subordinated to like, you know, having a nose, right? So you can have enabling conditions that don't actually have authority um, uh, that can't be validated, uh, um, uh, don't have their own like authoritative source of, that aren't hegemonic and don't have their own, um, uh, uh, yeah, they, they just don't have the authority to conform all uh, other subordinate expressions of freedom. So life is an expression of freedom, but it's just one of many other expressions of freedom. And when I say life is expression of freedom, I say the first, you know, the first prokaryotic cell that decided to take in some, decided to take in uh, some particulates in the soup of the world and um, eschew other particulates uh, in the soup of the world and then use that to, 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 to have chemical energy, uh, uh, chemical reactions, and then poop out the waste, that is an expression of freedom because it wasn't just determined by, you know, bodies in motion. It was selective reactivity. Selective reactivity is selective. That is an expression of freedom. It's not just a matter of the pressure. It's not, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a little itty bitty fight against, um, you know, Newton's third law. <laughs> Uh, selective reactivity matters, right? And selective reactivity enables life. It, it, it enables uh, the, um, what is it? Um, Semi-permeable uh, membrane that allows some charged particles in and, and, and eschews others and keeps the ones that are in contained so that they can react in a certain way, right? So there's a, a good book by Thompson, Evan Thompson called Mind and Life that, that, that goes through this, but you know, Winfield's written some work on it and uh, we, you know, the first, the first instance of autopoiesis, that means self-making, you see that in a cell, where the cell exists for the sake of its cell, and the cell is the cause of itself, because it is the cell that is saying no to you and yes to you, 
um, is a first instance of freedom. There's actually a great book on this called The Phenomenon of Life by Hans Jonas. And he's, he says, like, biology prefigures freedom in a pretty obvious way with respect to life. And also, you know, if you're an animal that can't think very clearly, and freedom means free thinking also. If you're an animal that can't think very clearly, you don't last very long. So there are evolutionary and biological expressions, like arguments that can be given for why life itself is an expression of freedom, but it's just, but those are, it's an expression of freedom and not the most robust. It's just, and, and as, an, as an expression of freedom, it should be respected, but um, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily have authority over all of the other expressions of freedom. It needs to be balanced with them. But more importantly, or at least as importantly, I want to talk about white supremacy as a living system as opposed to a dead system. Now, a dead, uh, or uh, a living system is going to be characterized by it needing the external world to supply content and nutrients to it, right? So white supremacy is a living system insofar as it doesn't generate all of its own energy. Its chemical reactions are predatory or parasitic upon a, a world, right? It needs black people, it needs other people to make stuff, <laughs> including degradation, where it needs black people to produce for them the, the conditions for them to be, you know, as they aspire to be. You can't have even like, you know, all those Disney movies with the royal family, being a royal is a living system insofar as in order to have a royal, you need to have an inside and an outside. Remember, the, the prokaryotic scale I was talking about has an inside and an outside. There's an inside and an outside. And then the inside selectively allows parts of the outside to come in, and it contains the inside, but it needs an outside, right? And it needs to be able to feed upon that outside for energy. That's, you know, that's white supremacy, that's colonialism. There's an inside and an outside. The inside doesn't exist and needs the raw materials that are produced from the outside in order to sustain its internal um, dynamics. And, you know, <laughs> the white family needs black labor. I mean, that's, that's always kind of been true ever since you see like all these, you know, black women watching these white, white kids. Like the white family needs black labor. The white, um, yeah, yeah, no. So there's a way in which the white church needs black people to do good work for um, so that they can feel good about themselves. Like there's an inside and an outside and white supremacy is a system of mutually reinforcing institutions, but it's a living system insofar as it has semi-permeable um, uh, membranes with respect to what concerns it says, what, what concerns it have. This is actually especially applicable in church because, you know, churches like to do good work, but they also want to decide what constitutes good work, right? That's that selective reactivity at work. They do the kind of good work that you can talk to, you know, white churches. They do the kind of work that's not going to jeopardize, you know, whiteness, right? So also as an organ, and because that's what we're talking about, an organism. An organism is made up of different, mutually differentiated parts that all kind of mutually reinforce each other. As an organ that, that continually self-replenishes through the feeding of and upon the outside. So it's an arrangement of institutions that replenishes itself by sucking <laughs> um, the environment. So it can't be completely indifferent to the environment that, off of which it feeds. 
And this is this is why white supremacy is very involved in what um, you know is taught to black kids. They call it um, Bobby Wright. Dr. Bobby Wright was a therapist, a doctor of psychology based out of Chicago, a long time. He's from Alabama, Hobson, Alabama, but he spent a lot of time in in Chicago, and he coined the term menticide. And menticide's about the black mind and how white America has a very vested interest in destroying and deforming the black mind. That's like, it's a very important interest. That's why, you know, the, it's not an accident that there's so many white ladies in public schools and they're not exactly teaching your kids how to fight for their cut, for the community. So white supremacy is not, is not indifferent to the biosphere off of which it feeds. And so I was thinking about how to you know, talk to my students about this, and I was thinking, we, the University of Georgia just won the football, the big football national championship, and there's a way in which powerhouse football programs are themselves living systems. Sure, you have the internal workings of the coaches and all of that stuff, but you know what they also do? They recruit. <laughs> they recruit. And uh, there's a metabolism, internal metabolism, and they recruit and they spit out um, you know, 22-year-olds with broken hips and, and dicey ankles and knees, and they recruit, you know, nubile 17-year-olds um, uh, into the program. So they metabolize, they, there's a metabolism, um, there's a recruitment, and then the players become part of the system. The catalytic reactions of the system that often end up in, in with, uh, uh, with national championship rings, right? So, and they also have these Big Ten programs that support area peewee leagues because that's all, of, that's all about preparing their environment. That's all about preparing the environment for which that will end up supplying the football fans and culture that the system needs in order to sustain itself, the catalytic reactions within the, uh, the football program, right? So there's a way in which the national, uh, the college football powerhouse conferences, they are living systems. There's an inner and then there's an outer and the inner isn't indifferent to the outer. The inner actually cares about what happens in the outer. That's where the Pee Wee League players come in. That's where everyone else comes in, right? So, um, and for, and then, yeah, so like, the football team is one thing, but the recruiting aspect of football is a whole different thing and that they put resources into and they, they have to care about the outer. They can't be indifferent to the outer because the outer is like the biosphere in which the inner lives. So the powerhouse football teams have a lot invested in a football culture outside of the actual football program. And it will seed that culture and prepare that culture because it then recruits and feeds off that culture. All right, so I hope that's that clarifies what respect to how at least uh, powerhouse football at the college level is a living system that feeds, that prepares its food, then feeds, and then expels its food. Which is interesting because a lot of people, you know, you go around UGA campus, they'll, they'll ask, you'll ask who's the most famous University of Georgia football player who's ever put on the colors? And they'll tell you Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker, he's running for Senate. Herschel Walker did not graduate from the University of Georgia. <laughs> he might be the most famous University of Georgia football player, but insofar as he was a football player, he was a human resource. This wasn't about the mission of the University of Georgia. This is about how the mission of the University of Georgia uses Herschel Walker 
for his, you know, 2,000 sit-ups and 700 push-ups every day to, uh, to, 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 to take the ball. And not its investment in his mind. It's supposed to be a university first, right? No, he was a, nat he was a human. He wasn't even a human resource because like, we try to educate humans. We didn't try to educate Walker. He was a natural resource for the university to consume and spit out. He did not, he did not graduate. They did not like, figure out a way to teach him things. Um, they figured out a way, and he's the most famous. So what does it mean? What does it mean that the most famous UGA football player didn't graduate? What does it mean that the most famous UGA football player that nobody knew that he didn't graduate? Because he isn't the only one. Um, what does it mean? Like, what stories do we have to tell ourselves about college athletes where that's the case? And if you knew that Herschel Walker didn't graduate the University of Georgia, would that change your opinion about what? Would that change your opinion about? Uh, what it means to be a University of Georgia um, football player. So not only does the it not only does the system self reproduces and self renews itself. It doesn't do so from its own self. It's not autocatalytic in that way. It does so by consumption. Right. It consumes from outside of the system. It's an open system and a living system, and then expels, you know, people with dicey hips and ankles out. Like um, uh, once the system is done feeding off of you, right? So you have to understand that that's that's white supremacy. It is a system insofar as it's differentiated organs mutually reinforcing each other: the church, the family, the conception of school, and the conception of property ownership. And all of these things mutually reinforce each other into a system that's still white, right? Into one organism. And if one, like it heals, there is a, because one isn't other than the other. They are kind of immediately coordinated as a, form, as a form of that mutually reinforcing institution. And then there's the other. On the other side of that semi permeable membrane, um, uh, these are your garbage collectors, your cooks. Yeah, the, the people who, um, Oh, white supremacy consumes for its own sake, right? And the, the consumes as natural resources. So I, I hope this has been clear about what it means to be part of a living system. That means a system is going to be an organism with differentiated parts, we're all mutually enforcing together. A living system is going to be one that's not closed, but actually feeds off a biosphere. And what that means is that it's not going to be indifferent to the biosphere. That's why, like, people, you know, I, I read this comment about someone who said, like, you know, black people, it's not your job to teach white people. And actually, black people, you have to take it as your job to teach white people. I, I teach white people every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm glad to teach white people tomorrow. And there are some white people who are watching this, and I'm teaching you. Because if you don't, just know that they are taking it as their job to, like, teach you. There are entire tracks and industries about how to groom the Negro mind, menticide, right? Like, there, there's a book about the religious education of the Negro. This is what slavers were, were reading in order to teach their um, slaves the right kind of Christianity, right? There is, like, all of these white ladies in public school, they're not there by accident. So white supremacy has a design on the black mind. And we need black people, we need a design on the white mind because it's not as if, like, if they're coming to feed on you. And so they're going to want to prepare you for food, so you have to prepare them um, for just governance. 
So yes, very much it is our job to deal with the whites. And it's a skill. It takes a certain amount of courage to deal with the whites. But I'm trying to give you the quality of arguments that you will um, appreciate. By the way, if you appreciate anything I'm doing, like nobody's going to go, no UGA student is going to talk crap about UGA football um, after we've won the national championship, except here at www.funkyacademic.com. Um, so I'm making myself down white unemployable by doing what I'm doing. And I think you should thank me for it by kicking down five, fifteen, dollars or $50 a month for me to give you the quality of knowledge that you're not getting anywhere else. And you should. You should. You should get pe people thinking that, you know, it's a system insofar as itself um, perpetuates. It's a living system insofar as itself perpetuates. It's also a living system insofar as it feeds. It's an open system. It feeds and poops. Poops out young black men and it feeds on <laughs> younger black men, but if, if black people and black communities in general, right? So we have to think about what that means to fight a living system. And it's also going to adapt, right? So, like, it's got differentiated parts. And, you know, white supremacy is so suffused in American culture that it's just what a lot of people think of as family, as school, as church. It's all, but it's all tinged, tainted with an anti-black strain um, that when in practice and when, uh, when working as an organism together ends up with somehow black people in degradation and being chum, food for the whites. So what is it to be food for the whites? Well, you're looking at black America. Um, even our rights, our rights are weaponized for white um, uh, benefits, right? Who do you think owns all those bail bond companies who are bailing out black people? Um, so, like, we have the right to bail, but even that gets weaponized, right? So, um, think about, and same with, like, student debt, right? Who do you think has a disproportionate amount of student debt? Although we don't go to school, but the people who do go to school have debt. And so, we are chum. We are the nutrients that feed and sustain uh, white supremacy in America. And we need to go at it like that. And we've always been. This, that was slavery. That was, we were, <laughs> we were the nutrients that allowed for the catalytic um, reaction that was the cotton economy. Right? And even more so that. Even like, yeah, honor. All of that is, the price of that is black degradation. Georgia gets to feel good about its football team because not because of the entire black defense, but because the white quarterback, what, what's, what's the deal with these white quarterbacks and they're like ostentatiously white names, like Stetson and Cade. I feel like you're naming your kid Cade and you're a white guy, you're just pretty much naming him a quarterback. You just, <laughs> like, there, there are no people. Are there, are there Cades who don't become quarterbacks? Or like you're just pretty much saying I'm naming my kid quarterback. Uh, yeah, so, you go to the University of Georgia football website, you'll find a lot of black players uh, playing defense and whose job is to like get crushed and the white players playing center and then quarterback uh, because those are the glory positions and whose job is to protect and be protected, not necessarily to get crushed. So what does that mean? It means once again with chum and as chum, we need to actually um, reform this living system and think about it in those terms, right? And 
you know, it could, uh, life is when, uh, Kant said this, I don't think it was right. Life, uh, was it Hegel? Uh, it's Hegel. Uh, life is when chemical reactions become perpetual, right? So right now it's working in per perpetuity until we actually upset the chemical reactions. We need to bust through that semi-permeable barrier and sneak in some viruses. All right, thank you for your time. And I will talk to you next week about something completely different. Once again, if you appreciate what I'm doing, which you should, go ahead and go over to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50 a month. And I will see you next week. Peace.